I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to This Week in Oil and Gas. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Mark LaCour, welcome in. I can't speak probably because I spent all day talking your ear off. Yeah, we, um, we we had a good day together, didn't we? We, we busted butt a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So um, episode 16, we're 16 years old, and you helped me take my scooter to the shop. So thank yep. you. Yep, those two things somehow seem to go together, don't they? <laughs> yeah, I ride a scooter, people. Deal with it. It's, it's a 300, and it goes 90, okay? And I don't deal with Houston traffic at all. <laughs> um, so uh, I am James Hahn II from TriBrocket.com. We are... Uh, we are brand architects for next generation oil field leaders. How about you, Mark? Uh, Modalpoint.com. We are the oil and gas sales experts. Perfect. Let's jump right in. We got a, We got something from the Daily Star in Lebanon. Lebanon onshore oil and gas is promising. Yeah, this is a great story. So um, Lebanon's been doing a bunch of seismic work with a U.S. company, and it looks like they've hit pay dirt. Now, they haven't done any exploration, exploratory wells yet, but it looks like they're sitting on about 25 trillion cubic feet of gas. Uh, which would just be great for the, for, for, for the uh, country and for the people there if they were able to tap into that. Is, Le- is Lebanon part of OPEC then? No, Lebanon is not part of OPEC. That's why it would be great. Thus the question. So yeah. so let's let's dig into that a little bit. Yeah, so you know, Lebanon's having to buy um, uh, mostly gas and some crude from, from other places, and they buy it from OPEC. So then OPEC has a bit of a chokehold on there. Um, I actually have um, not too fond memories of Lebanon. I was actually my first duty station in the Marine Corps was in the Beirut, um, in Beirut when the um, Marine um, barracks was attacked. So, mm. uh, but the people there are great. Um, it would for them to wean their dependence off OPEC would be awesome. And they're sitting on a sizable re- reservoir, right? So this uh, U.S. company called Neos has been doing geo work out there for a while, and they uh, surveyed about six thousand square kilometers. Uh, using you know high tech three D uh, type of stuff and and they look like they've hit pay dirt which is great. Okay. Now they just have to get through the legal stuff internally to actually allow people to come in and start drilling. Right, and they got ten blocks it says here. So uh, good luck with that. Um, speaking of OPEC, um, it sounds like you might take issue with our friend over here Robert on seeking alpha. So OPEC's five hundred billion dollar blunder. What's going on? Yeah, so Robert's point of view, uh, this is in Seeking Alpha, is that OPEC uh, made a mistake by not cutting production, right, which would in- increase their – would decrease the amount of profits they're making. And, and you know, we've talked about this on the show forever. OPEC's not trying to kill the American shale producers. That is not why they have the production numbers where they are. We cannot export our crude. We cannot export our crude, which means that our crude does not enter the global oil and gas market. Now, yes, we import less because we, we're producing more, but that's not what OPEC's after. OPEC's out there to punish a couple of the rogue OPEC nations that it cut productions a while back when they wanted to. And OPEC is sticking a knife in Russia's back because Russia's economy is deathly dependent on oil being around $80, $85 a barrel. That's right. And we're going to tell that story until it, until it gets across the industry because it's not, it, it's not been adopted yet, apparently. All right. Um, speaking of OPEC, again, uh, why the shale CEO isn't afraid of OPEC or low oil prices? And we got, we got um, Mr. John Chrisman from the CEO of Apache. We both know uh, a couple people over there. So what's going on? 
Yeah, so this, this, the, as most news articles are, the title is a bit sensationalized. This is basically a really good story about how Apache has turned things around, dumped their underperforming assets, put a lot of time and money in bringing up their higher performing assets, cut costs, and they basically turned this company around. So, you know, Wall Street uh, just a few years ago was not too happy with Apache. And now Wall Street's looking at them going, you know what? They're doing a damn good job. So, you know, hats off to them for doing the right stuff. So it says here that they returned to their roots. How did they do that? So they were they were globally invested in in a lot of countries where it was marginal business, and so they they sold all that stuff off. A lot of it was at a loss, and they came back here and they concentrated on the shell plays and the shelf in the Gulf of Mexico, and that's where they're strong. So, they, you know, it's basically you see some businesses turn around, and go back to their core business, what they're best at, and that's what Apache did. Yeah, that, that, isn't that what um, uh, GE did back in the day under Jack Welch? Yes, exactly right. So Jack Welch came in and said, you know what, if it's not our core business, it's toast. And then he laid some rigor around management and um, and the way you track sales metrics. And that became the Jack Welch way, which he turned you around completely. Yeah. So um, so do that, people. <laughs> Focus on what you're good at. Uh, yeah, that that to bring up uh, Mr. John Maxwell, uh, he's a speaker. If you've never heard him speak, he's an amazing leadership guy. And I saw him speak out there at the Success Summit by Success Magazine in 2009 in Dallas. And I, his, his, it just rings with me ever today where he said, um, let me tell you about your weaknesses. You are weak in your weaknesses. And it sounds so simple, but that very applicable um, personally and professionally, no matter how big the company. All right, I wanted to bring out this next one um, because it is a sensational headline, but there is a lot of truth to the demonizing of coal. So oil and gas companies, quote unquote, demonize coal as climate deal draws closer. What's going on? Yeah, so um, so if, if you, you know, if you research, if you do research in chemistry books and you talk about fossil fuels, there's three of them, coal, oil, and natural gas. Coal has been a mainstay of our energy production and the world's energy production for a very, very long time. Unfortunately, of the three, coal is the most polluting. It releases the most greenhouse gases, the most CO2. And there's ways to scrub that. So our coal-fired electric plants here in the U.S., the, the carbon is scrubbed, but that's costly. Unfortunately, the rest of the world doesn't do that. So you have a lot of these CO2 emissions from coal. And this article is about how the oil and gas industry is separating themselves from coal and talking about how especially natural gas is 50% cleaner in coal. So if you're worried about the environment, you need to switch from coal to natural gas. Take all the politics and all the media sensation out of this. It's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, unfortunately, it's just where it is. And, um, you know, for our brothers out there that work in the coal industry, we, we, we have nothing against you. Um, but at some point, you have to make strategic decisions about where your business could go. Um, the coal industry in the U.S. Is actually it took a nosedive. It's actually leveled off, but it's leveled off because we're selling it to China, who doesn't really care about pollution. Right. Um, you're seeing the decline in coal use in the U.S., and it's going to continue to decline. It's only used anymore in electrical-fired generation plants, I mean, coal-fired electrical generation plants, and those plants, one by one, are switching to natural gas. But this article is, is an attempt by um, – by the associate press to like kind of stir the pot. I, I have seen recently with the global, um, the super majors talking about um, global emissions and wanting to rein in cl- uh, um, global warming and, and CO2 emissions. I've seen some high ranking people at Shell and at um, Chevron, not Exxon, but at BP talk about s- switching from coal to natural gas, but they didn't say anything was bad with coal. They just talked about the switch. This media story is trying to make it look like there's some, you know, war going on, which I have seen no evidence of. So the, there's a political word out there that that comes to mind right now that we might as well dive into. Uh, 
clean coal. What what the heck is that? Or it so doesn't the, even exist. No, it does. Now that the it's kind of a bad name. Clean coal makes it sound like they're the coal is either special or been treated so it can burn cleanly. It's not. It's the same coal. There's clean burn technology. So as those emissions go up, basically the exhaust stacks, there's um, catalyst and um, uh, carbon filters that basically scrub all of the pollution out of it. So what comes out of the top of the stack is basically heat and water vapor. But that technology is expensive. It's actually cheaper just to switch natural gas than to continue on coal and retrofit with clean coal burn technology. Got it. Yeah, and th- I came across this wow a few years ago. Actually, it's um it's called uh, at HainesvilleMovie.com, and the guy that directed it, Gregory Kallenberg, he gave a TEDx talk in Austin, and it was kind of a shocking thing to see uh, when I was early in the industry. But he um he started off pretty much in the same boat as anyone else that was stirred up by the Josh Fox fiasco. But he went down there to the Haynesville and, and, and he ended up kind of having a much more balanced look at things because he realized how much coal was basically killing people. And, and he talks a lot about that. And, and, and I'm going to throw this note, uh, I'm throw this in the show notes, the, the, the speech itself. Last week I said uh, triberocket.com forward slash um, 15. That's actually, t- um, I'm going to, put in front of it TW so that we can um, sort of use the links differently because we have a really cool plugin that we use for that to redirect. But the point is, is that in the in the show notes, triberocket.com forward slash TW. So this week, uh, 16. So triberocket.com forward slash TW16. And you'll be able to see him kind of go through some of these statistics about coal and how he kind of came around on that whole issue. So it's kind of an interesting thing that just came to mind. All right, let's talk about the steelworkers. We haven't talked about it for a few weeks, and it looks like they are uh, they have reached an agreement with Marathon. Yeah, this is the end of it. <laughs> we talked about this, was it last year? It's been that? a long time since we've been about, talking about it, and even on the show. Yeah, about the steelworkers are striking. Shell was taking leave and doing the negotiations, and we talked about how you know, the free market really should reign here. And what the union was asking for was not realistic. Um, and this is the last place where they were still on strike. So now uh, Marathon has become a, 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 um, agreed to um, an agreement with the striker, the steel workers. And so this is the end of it until next time their contract is up, I'm sure. Hooray unions. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I am sorry. Did I say that out loud? Um, all right. Let's just move on because I'm, I'm going to start soapboxing on unions and uh, we don't need that. Um, you know, no, we don't. Just catch me offline for that, folks. <laughs> I'll, I'll talk your ear off. Uh, ask, ask Mark. Aubrey McClendon, he, uh, he's in the news again and he's making some moves out there in Ohio. So what's going on? Yeah, so you know, this is just another example of how we're talking about companies that had, um, you know, not bought good assets at a good price need, would need to diversify of them. That's what's going on right now. That's what's going on here. <clears throat> so basically, American Energy um, had some Utica assets. They paid a little bit too much for them. They weren't really good operators are trying to make some money out of it. So they figured they would sell it and they put it on the market. And Gulfport Energy, who's just a, a great operator in Ohio, it's like so probably one of the best in Ohio picked them up and they picked them up for basically, you know, pennies on the dollar. So we're going to continue to see stories like this for the next 24 months. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and so that, that's the company that he founded when he, when he left Chesapeake then. 
Yep, absolutely. Okay, and I'm, I'm moving forward here. Actually, uh, I'm going to switch a link on you real quick because we might as well talk about these back-to-back. Um, I didn't even notice that while I was putting the links together. But uh, let's jump down to industry executives say Utica Shale remains full of promise because, you know, I feel like the Utica is sort of like the little engine that could... <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's 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 not thought of first or second or third. It's like way back. In the <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like the 29th play that anybody's even talking about. So so let's let's talk about the Utica. So the Utica is, is a great formation. And once again, you have A, B and C uh, properties out there and you have, you know, great operators and bad operators and everything in between. The problem with the U- Utica is it's geographically isolated. Mm. So it's it's if you're a good operator, you can get oil and gas out of the ground. It's getting it to market that you struggled with. So this is a good article showing how uh, midstream growth in the Utica is helping the good operators and even the marginal operators um, make money now because they actually can move that crude and gas out of the Utica, which they couldn't when they first started developing that. Yeah, yeah. So and uh, and and so hat tip to the guys at Heart Energy for getting that out there into the can cantonrep.com and then we've got we've never actually talked about montana and they're tapping out what's this about um so think about the growth and think about all the operators that come in and all the rigs and then we had the decline right from the end of last year um and so you're starting to have drig real drig real rig counts going down well montana's net zero right so they had you know whatever it is uh, i think i 119 rigs last year at this time and now they're basically down to zero um now now but, but the story is actually they don't quite tell the whole truth right well, well let's get into it then yeah so production is is very high right now even though nobody's drilling production is is actually the most it's ever been in that part of the Bakken. and then that part of of montana the weather is is severe it impacts everything so if you're an operator in the bakken if you're going to pull your drill rigs and your people if you're already producing wouldn't you just pull them out the place that's hardest to work and bring them where it's easiest to work that's what's actually going on here you know when price of crude starts going back up which we keep thinking it's gonna be april around april 2016 you'll see them move back out here when it's economically viable yeah and and not to mention the fact that that there's the other side story of of if there are actually guys getting laid off and everything uh there's a heck of a lot of downstream jobs available these days <laughs> oh it's crazy it's um i don't know if we talked about specifics on the last show but i was actually talking to one of the um turnaround managers at the shell deer park refinery and he has um a lot of money capex approved for this major project and he won't pull the trigger on it because him and his contractors cannot find enough scaffolding builders and welders that's crazy they can't hire enough people to do this project that they want to do um, so yes, downstream is on fire right now. If, if you're if you're an upstream and you're a, a welder, a pipe fitter, machinist, any type of craft labor, and you're looking for work, start looking at the pipeline companies, start looking at the refineries, start looking at the petrochemical plants, the ethylene crackers. They're all hiring right now. Yeah, and and that brings up uh, to, to mind a a post um, that oh, what's his name here, Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs. He did this post on uh, Facebook, and and you're not on Facebook, Mark, so I'll tell you about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. No, it, it, so it was really interesting because, uh, you know, he, he has no problem sort of uh, lighting up his critics, right? And your constant harping on work ethic is growing tiresome just because someone's poor doesn't mean they're lazy, da da da, blah, 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 you know, all that whole thing. And, um, you know, your sweat pledge is a bunch of, you know, the, the, the end thing here says rather than accusing people of not having a work, work ethic, why not drop the right wing pop- propaganda and help them develop one? 
Um, and so then he, I don't know, there's got to be at least a thousand words, but he just crushes it on this one. Um, because the points that he makes is that exactly what we're talking about. There are so many skilled labor jobs available right now that pay good money that we can't find people for. Yeah, absolutely right. It's absolutely correct. It's crazy. It, you know, in, 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 and I'm going to go on a little soapbox on this one, so give me a second. But it's really part of the problem is that, well, we blew up this uh, housing bubble because everyone had to own a home. And we've done the same thing by saying everyone has to go to college. And the truth is that everyone has to find what they're good at. And a lot of people are good at skilled trades, and we don't have enough of them. And so that is really playing out downstream in my mind anyway. Well, it's, and let me tell you, so I have a 10 year old son and you know, they're paying a hundred thousand dollars a year for TIG welders in the oil field right now. That's good money. I know you're stuck in a hole sticking metal together. That's a hundred grand a year. I am this tempted to send my son to welding school so he can have something to fall back on if whatever his major in is, is toast by the time he gets out of school. And, and there's nothing wrong with being a skilled laborer. It's, it's a noble craft. Right. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and uh, there's the, the one line that he says is, um, uh, where is it at? Oh, I'm going to find it real quick. He talks about, um, he, he talks about basically that we're, we're educating people for jobs that don't exist anymore, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and giving them all kinds of stuff. But I've, 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 you've been patient enough in my soapboxing. So, so thanks for listening folks. Um, let's, let's move on from that rant, um, and talk about SCADA. Because I thought I thought this was a pretty interesting article um, applying some technology to the oil field. Yeah, so SCADA circuits, which stand for Supervisory Control and Data Acquisition, have been around since I've been around. Back when I worked in the phone company 20 years ago, we lit a lot of SCADA circuits. It's basically your control system of a pipeline, of a refinery, you know, of a tank farm or whatever. And it's interesting. Cybersecurity used to never be an issue for oil and gas. The reason it was never an issue is that if you need to turn a valve on a pipeline, Bubba got his Ford pickup truck, <laughs> drove his 18 miles down there, and turned the valve on. Right. If you wanted a cybersecurity Bubba, you couldn't. Bubba didn't own a computer. You would have to beat Bubba up. And trust me, you didn't want to try to beat Bubba up to get to that valve. <laughs> now that valve's done remotely through SCADA circuits, and a lot of SCADA circuits are attached to the internet. So now you have you know exponential more points of entry for bad guys. And years ago, the bad guys was bored 14-year-old kids in Southern California. Now the bad guys are state-sponsored hackers in countries like China, Russia. These are like trained, educated, top-notch hackers. These are some of the best of the best. So we're watching this happen you know, right now. And it's not just this article is about SCADA circuits and how the security can be improved. But the oil and gas industry as a whole all of a sudden is starting to pay attention to cybersecurity. Interesting statistic. Chevron gets maliciously hit 300,000 times a day. Right? Chevron has to defend it. What? The bad guys. Yeah. 300,000 times a day. That didn't exist a few years ago at all. So the oil and gas industry, you know, a lot of people will say that it's old fashioned and doesn't believe in technology. I I can tell you story after story about some unbelievable cyber security incidences in the oil and gas industry where some really smart people were able to beat the bad guys at their own game. So, um, you know, once again, this industry changing, it's a great thing. That shouldn't surprise me, but still to hear the actual number, it's, it's, it's sort of mind-boggling. So, yeah, folks, get on your security and check that article out. All right, we uh, we are at the end of our of our of our um, actual articles, and we have the, the the onion of the week. Find the thing you're most passionate about, then do it on nights and weekends for the rest of your life. Uh, 
which which actually uh, I did that for for a really long time. And then, I was about to say I did too. Right? I think a lot of entrepreneurs start out that way. Yeah, I I, I did that, and then um, wow, and now I have a show with you, Mark. I, yeah. Boy, I, aren't you privileged? Wow. I, I have arrived. All right. So um, no real uh, local Houston stuff happening next week. We have the Winsett Lunch coming up uh, in the week of the 20, uh, what the heck is that, 20, uh, 21st. But we do have a San Antonio event, which is the uh, CIO Oil and Gas Summit. Yeah. So this is a, this is a great event. This is um, of course, all the gas CIOs, which have a very unique, <laughs> we just talked about one of the unique things they have to worry about their pipelines being hacked. Um, so this is a, um, it's a, a technology summit for CIOs and CIOs in oil and gas in the last couple of years have changed. It used to be quite honestly, they were geeky managers, right? They understood the technology. Now CIOs have to understand the business, right? They have to be able to relate to business and, and affect business metrics. And so if, if you're one of those CIOs that want to affect the business, you need to go to this event. And James, I think we, you and I are actually going to an event tomorrow, are we not? We are, we are, and 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 by the time this goes out, it will have finished, right. <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but hopefully, we will see everybody tomorrow because it's my freaking birthday, people. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome! Happy birthday, James! Thank you. Uh, so June twelfth, yeah, tomorrow. So by the time y'all y'all get this, um, hopefully, we'll have seen you at the uh, Houston Energy Breakfast. Yep, and I'll be moderating a discussion out there. So if, if you want to come say hi, James and I will both be there. We'll both be dressed up, so you may not recognize us. But come, <laughs> come say hi. Come say hi and 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 show us your tra- time travel machine because I want to see how that happened. Um, so, all right, we got all the show notes. I said tryrocket.com forward slash TW16. Mark LaCour, do you have anything else for us? Nope. Folks, do great work. Pay it forward. We will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys. <laughs>